Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. And our first guest today, he's a new face on pop-ups. He's the hottest thing north of Watford since the invention of wet nellies. It's Jack Byrne. And back by very popular demand, it's the one and only Kaylee Finn. Hello, Jack. Good to see you again. <laughs> it's our second time around. Give Hello. us a book recommendation, Hello, please. Hello, Jack. Okay. All right. So my book recommendation is Airedale by Dylan Byford. Got it's it. a near-future thriller mystery. It's one of those that really gets you thinking. It's dark cyberpunk, if you know what that means. If you I don't, do. yeah. then it's kind of imagining all the things, a lot of the tech now, and dragging it out to its logical conclusion, good or bad. Interesting. Yes, I'd like to know how that works out. Kaylee, same question to you, Hello. please. Give, give us a decent book recommendation, please. Very different to Cyberpunk. It's yeah. The Five People You Meet in Heaven by oh. Nick Alvin. Yeah. And there it is. Um, and you said you hadn't read it when we did the take one, so uh, no. I'll pitch no. it again. <laughs> it's, um, it's a bit of a fable about basically the meaning of life a very it's a fairly short read but it's about a guy called eddie who dies trying to save the life of another person and meets five people in heaven who have had a really instrumental impact on his life or the other way around a very inspirational kind of read yeah it's like um it's a wonderful life that sort of thing yeah wonderful there you go two great (laughs) books two fantastic guests i'll be bound um this point in the show we normally cut to the scoreboard and i tell you the results of your voting over the six last six and a half days i'm not going to do that this time because when i did it last time we got the most awful crash <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna carefully steer around that but i am going to tell you the 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 winner and is is a big vote actually it's 90 percent. we don't normally get 90 percent votes on the show uh we gave well it was aaron's book actually aaron's daring story of a couple of kids and a time machine and adolf hitler and the concept of redemption what a an amazing package but we thought it was worth 85 percent on the show but you were even more generous and generally you're a bit lower than we are you said 90 percent so congratulations Aaron. you struck i think exactly the right note with everybody and i'm sure that manuscript is going to go on to great success and what we're going to look at is five amazing submissions today and they've got some really interesting stuff here to look at this is our first one from Jordan. It's called Coming of Age. At least that's the genre. That's not the title. The title is Summer of 71. And this is Jordan's blurb. Kieran Delaney is a 12-year-old and can't stop himself avoiding sidewalk cracks and praying for God to cure his mother's cancer. It's June the 2nd, 1971, and she's in a hospital 500 miles away in Baltimore, Maryland. As September approaches, Kieran hasn't seen his mother and his dad refuses to visit. So, Kieran hitchhikes from Postoria, Ohio, to Baltimore, Maryland. Along the way, he meets a cast of the malevolent, the malevolent, and the heaven sent. Learns too young, I think that should be, and he learns too young, how hard they are to distinguish. Let me tell you about Jordan. 
Jordan's got a BSc in biology and a PhD in wetland ecology. I wonder if that's related to wet nellies. Probably not. I made liners, he said, for swimming pools, played bass in a punk band and taught ecology at a Canadian university. But getting the right words in a row is what makes me buzz. It's more difficult than you think, isn't it, actually? I've published several short stories online, he says. That's great. All right, Jordan, so we're going to give you the very, very best possible start here with Martin. The first page. The Summer of 71 by Jordan, read by Martin. Chapter 1. The car slid out of the shade of the chestnut tree shrouding the street in the front of our house, and Mom's face, looking out the back window, slipped beneath the sun glare like a sinking body. It was faded grey with streaks of red where the rust had eaten away the paint along the right front fender. Something flashed pale. She might have waved. I couldn't tell. I watched until they turned left onto Pope Street. Grandpa's dart rattled even after it was out of sight beyond the corner of Le Boy's bungalow. I wanted to run after it, grab onto the bumper, cling to it all the way to Baltimore. Sometimes the things you think just don't make sense. But it didn't sound like they were going to make it. Dad had already gone back inside and I followed him. We lived at 127 Carnival, had since I could remember. I paused on the stoop, tapped on the one once, the two twice and the seven seven times, then opened the screen door. The TV was on in the living room, a ball game, probably the Tigers, Dad's team, mine too. Dad was in his chair, green felt upholstered, directly in front of our new colour TV. First colour TV we had ever owned. He was on his second beer. Want to watch the ball game with your pops, champ? He only called me champ after the second beer. It made my stump ro stomach roll a little. I sprawled on the couch. Who are they playing? The O's. Who's pitching for us? Mick. He's up 4-0. Got the good stuff going. They knocked McNally all over the park. Kylene's three for four with a double and a homer. I like Jim Palmer. Pretty boy. He had a couple of good years, but it won't last. You watch. Paul Blair led off the ninth for Baltimore and beat out a high chopper to short. He was so quick out of the box, up the line like a snap shade. I looked over, but Dad didn't seem to notice. Blair took a big lead, drawing a throw. Why couldn't Mum go to hospital here? Special treatment, Keir. Special medicine, I guess. He didn't look away from the TV, but not because he was watching. Why couldn't they just send the medicine down here? How am I supposed to know? I guess they just couldn't. Frank Robertson dropped a bloop single over Dickie McAuliffe's head and Blair carved the line from first to third. A clean, even curve, machined, oiled. Dad smacked the arm of his chair. Why didn't you drive her? Why didn't Grandpa and Nana take her? Who would look after you and Gracie? I could look after us. Our Nana could have come over. Brooks Robinson took Lolich's first pitch, pitch over the left field wall. 4-3. Damn it, Kieran. She wanted me to look after you guys. She wanted her folks to drive her. I don't know why. She just did. He drained the last of it. A little slip free and ran down onto his T-shirt, but he didn't notice. It always started under his left eye. Little more than a spot, but it spread like smudged paint until he was flushed from the lower lip to upper lip. Dad, can I go over to Arnie's? Dad's face loosened, relaxed. Sure, son, go ahead. The screen door slammed and I heard it catch behind me as sure as sunset. 
But I thought about Mom and the long drive to Baltimore and the dark shadows puddled under her eyes. So I went back and checked the door. It was shut tight. Dad was at the fridge and when he heard me try the handle he turned, standing with the fridge open, the fresh beer in his hand, staring at me like I was somebody else. Arnie's father was out in the ribbon of garden that circled their house, as he usually was on Saturday afternoons in the summer. He looked up from where he was kneeling as I came up the walkway. Hey, Kieran, Arnie's inside watching the ball game. How's your mother doing? She's doing fine, Mr Loftus. Just didn't f- feel like telling him she had gone to Baltimore. So uh, it's always great when we've got the narrator in the chat room, and we do. Uh, we've got Martin there, who's just saying, warm, engaging writing with nice, subtle touches. I enjoyed reading this very much, says Martin. That's our narrator. He's seeing it from a different point of view, of course. Uh, going to drop you straight in the deep end, Jack. No mercy. Going to ask you straight away what you thought of it, whether you wanted to turn the page or whether you disengage. No, I, I thought the most interesting thing for me was the voice, the character's voice, and that sounded the most genuine. To be honest, the first couple of paragraphs, I thought there was a bit of overwriting, too much description, like he was trying it. to... Yeah. Yeah, and it, for me, it just kind of... The, less of that a bit and more or concentrate on the character's voice and the same thing happened when he got into the more and more detail of I think it was baseball <laughs> not I, yeah I think things. it was I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> but again you know it was just drawing you out so for me uh, first of all it was the what stopped me listening to and visualizing was actually the description. Sometimes yeah. I think it's better to let the reader build their own picture. So a, a bit, I mean, he had some great detail. I'm not, you know, criticizing that, but maybe just a bit less of it and let yeah. the reader imagine the car pulling away and so on without all the, you know, the rust on the fender or whatever. But I liked the voice. I liked the kid's voice. I thought it was nice. I thought it was sharp. I thought it was uh, evocative. You know, I I liked it. I, I, did I, like think it. The, I think all those numbers that confused non-Americans, I think that was an attempt to evoke <laughs> the era. I think that's what was going on there. We need that era to be evoked. Kelly, you're nodding your head. Do you basically agree or what? Yeah, I do agree. I, I really like the premise. I like a coming-of-age story anyway, mm. and I think it's something that be, can be told over and over again because there's always something new you can learn or, or to tell the reader. Um, I would agree exactly um, with that. I think the story is definitely there, but it's more about dials and turning up bits of the story and turning down other bits. So yeah. the description around the ball game, I can imagine... I. I say it a few times if you were watching this as a film i can imagine the kind of background noise of the baseball game and how that helps you figure out who the father is but if you're reading it it became too much of a distraction in the story and just kind of dial that down a little bit uh, but dial up more but again I, i agree i like the voice as well and some kind of his you know naive questions and he's trying to figure out what's going on which is quite you know true to the character i think yeah yeah uh very good kaylee says vagabond heart spot on so you are being <laughs> marked at the same time as you're evaluating our you. submissions you're being uh, evaluated yourself thank you vagabond Otherwise, for doing you that. might just cut me off <laughs> yes exactly yes if vagabond's got anything to do with it uh there's a long one from lex so i'm going to read it because it's, it's always worth lex is always worth the time a lot of folks didn't care for the sporting details but i think 
the point is more a description of what's happening in the moment as the protagonist tries to make sense of why his mm, whole father is watching a ball game instead of taking mom to get special medicine those background details can perhaps be trimmed a bit but i think the scene is overall set very well and horrifying this is what living in an abusive household is likewise so there you go that's a good one from lex it's going to move into a sort of picaresque novel i think back to you jack now what we do is we we rate our submissions from one which not to a five which basically means you want to marry the submission and have its children so you've got a scale there what are you going to go for i'm going to be quite generous and go for four because uh, like like Kaylee said i think it's in there i think it's in there it just needs trimming and editing but i think it's definitely there i think the voice is great obviously it depends what happens but a great start fantastic that's great and johnny is given a three hannah's giving a three i saw a pound a pound sign there somewhere i swear i saw a pound sign but it's changed isn't that weird it's an odd day today kaylee numbers please i i am going to give it a score on where i think it's going i'm going to give it a four as well oh my goodness i thought it was only me the optimistic agent who, who votes on words not yet read <laughs> yeah um it's it's picaresque it's going to be up and down it's going to be lots and lots of interesting encounters it's going to be a huge amount of era evoking which could be incredibly powerful as nostalgia four from annie as well i need to see how the rest of it's going to be handled i like the title it's a lot i like about it but at the moment just three that's a good start though jordan definitely a good start i think we're on a roll tell you what Let's try another one. Should we try another one? Or should we... Uh, let's see. Let's see if you as comment. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was going to be... I thought that was going to be a comment on the manuscript, but it was actually on my shirt. Thank you so much for that. I, um... Yes, I don't want to say. Thank you, Dura. Wow. This is our second submission of the day. Yeah. Hey, Johnny. Yes, you've definitely got a submission. In... And it's the next one, Johnny. <gasps> it's fantasy colon magical realism. Hmm, I wonder if that's a genre. I wonder. Uh, it's called A Journey's Promise, and it's from Johnny, who's live with us, which is very good news. And this is Johnny's blurb. When Edward Duffy was young, his parents mysteriously died in their sleep. That same night was the first of many, filled with nightmares for him and they became more frequent and intensified over time. The people around Edward noticed the changes, especially some who've been searching, waiting for him to fulfill prophecy from a time long forgotten. One person wants him dead. The others want him alive to fulfill the prophecy so that Edward can save humanity from darkness. Right. And I need to tell you, I'm floating in mid-air there. It's extraordinary what's happening today. Um, I need to tell you about Johnny. Um, born in Detroit, feeling unchallenged in grade school with the reading material. He began reading Stephen King, Dean Coots, at nine years old. Um, a short time after high school, he enlisted in the U.S. Army, where he served until he was 30 and received many prestigious awards and accolades during his service in combat and training. During his military service, he travelled around the world experiencing new cultures while reading 
anything he could get his hands on to fill the time on those long trips. It wasn't until after the military service he truly fell in love with reading and writing. He earned a bachelor's degree in English and creative writing at Southern New Hampshire University. Um, and when he's not writing, he's volunteering at the Veterans Centre. Hmm, right, OK. So I tell you what, tell you what, Johnny, we're going to ask Jeff to give it his very best. The first page. A Journey's Promise by Johnny, read by Jeff. Dresden Mordevin has seen ages come and go. He has lived what seemed a thousand lives. Ways of life have changed, some old back to new, while many from the past leave and are never seen again. Over time, the many different cultures that were once used to place a person's origin have now all blended together in this current period of time. Throughout all the different ages he has lived through, the equivalent to many centuries in terms of years, there were very few things that sparked his interest like the prospect of love does. Love, a power of its own kind, potentially stronger than the greatest known powers in the world, is also the key to Drasden fulfilling his duties and the salvation of mankind. Thousands of lives were lived, countless deaths he had survived or witnessed, but there's one significant reason that keeps Drasden moving forward through this desolate world with a relentless fury and it's that he will find the man that will save them all. Over the ages, he has held many different titles. The latest title given to him has been Watcher. Titles and descriptions are meaningless to him. Dresden and his duties always remain the same. To find the one mentioned in the prophecies, who bears the marks and who will one day save or destroy the world. His abilities, along with many hidden talents and secrets, are why Dresden is one of the last Watchers. The world's last hope of finding the one mentioned in the prophecies. With a plate of hot steaming food in front of him, his newfound favourite food, a sunny side omelette bowl it's called, Drasden is on duty, watching. One of his abilities is being able to see what normal people cannot. What Drasden can see is the aura around a young man sitting not far from him. An aura, one of the markings mentioned in the prophecy, that were only born within one person at one time. And that is why he is there watching. Pulled by an imaginary string to the aura, along with his talents and oath to his duty to watch for the second markings that will fulfil prophecy. He has watched many, many people throughout the ages that had an aura and no more. But the hair on the back of his neck, one to stand on the end, told him this time would be different. Chapter 1 A loud, ear-speaking crack. Edward vaulted out of a deep sleep, landing perfectly into a crouch, on his toes and arms out for balance with his hand slightly fisted. Breathing heavily and waiting for his eyes to adjust to the darkness, Edward took inventory of his senses. Edward could feel every muscle fibre rhythmically tense and slacken, awaiting action as he slowly gained control of himself, planted his feet firmly, shook out his arms and let them fall to his side. He felt a slight breeze that brought the slowly fading goosebumps rapidly back in force to his sweat-soaked body. Remembering his breathing exercises taught by his psychiatrist, Dr. Valentine, to help deal with stress and anxiety from his last rocky relationship and his recent bout with crazy dreams and nightmares, Edward began inhaling and exhaling slow, deep breaths. What used to take hours now only took a few deep, controlled breaths, and is what Dr. Valentine likes to call progress. Snatching the shirt off the floor from the night before, Edward turns his room light on and checks to see if the loud crack 
was just another seismic joke born in the land of dreams. Looks like the dreams win again. He quietly growled to himself as he stared at his disarrayed, sweat-soaked bedsheets and pillow. Edward started chuckling as he remembered his grandma telling him one time, It's okay to talk to yourself. You're not losing your marbles as long as no one else is around to hear you. Edward was quickly filled with the warmth and love of remembering his loving grandma and her wonderfully quirky sayings. All those good feelings were suddenly brought to whip-brushing halt as Edward stares at his alarm clock that seems to be screaming at him that it's 2.18am again. Oh, cursed 218. It's three o'clock for me. Um, let's, yeah. So let's just see. Adverbs need, need trimming, says Galadriel. Kate's okay, saying Edward's vault would be a better place to start, me think. Show us Dresden in action first, says Martin. Tell us later. Like the burb, though. Rachel Cap says, where are we? Definitely mood changes post-prologue. It was a prologue! <laughs> Johnny? Please. Kaylee. Mm, I so I, I think I saw a comment to the saying a similar thing in in the chat about the, the author writing themselves into their own story and yeah. all of that upfront section <laughs> was very much that to a lot of telling but not really moving the story on with any kind of pace. If I'm honest. I, I really like the premise and I thought the opening line of the blur particularly was really strong and I was hooked from that and then I started kind of stepping away a bit from the story and I think either perhaps ha you know could you start with one of these nightmares and challenge the reader is this reality is it a nightmare what's going on and it could just be a way to bring that kind of impact or there was the, the bit there about him being a watcher and could he be observing something really interesting mm. and that could be how you open just mm. a few thoughts but i think it needs a, a bit of pain and i think with magical realism as well the first thing i wrote down was like oh it's quite harry potter-esque and then i had to almost challenge what i thought i was going to read or hear next um so it I think it needs a bit of a work through to bring bring the action. All right. Well, Johnny's with us live, and he's saying, you know, what we're seeing is an early draft, and he is obviously working on it too. Annie says, <coughs> Grandma's voice is great. I thought yeah. vocal characterizations by <laughs> Jeff, absolutely 100%, definitely. Hannah says, no idea what's going on. Have you got any idea what's going on? Jack. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, I think the first thing is that the writing is good. Or mm. I love it when I can, you know, when I see people put together nice sentences, when they can draw out emotions, when you can get in with the feelings. So I think Johnny should be proud of that. There you go. Uh, I don't yeah. like prologues. I don't like prologues. Uh, I think if you're going to start a story, start it with something interesting, grab the reader, take the reader with you. The reader doesn't want to spend two or three minutes getting a backstory or a world building or, you know, okay, <clears throat> that's, that's my preference. So I think, and I think he's picked, if any, probably the most difficult genre to do, magic mm -hmm. realism, to do well. You mm -hmm. know, I think it's really difficult. And I think the key to it is the realism to be realistic and the yeah. magic to be counterposed to that. And so for me, you know, if Johnny can think about either Dresden or Edward, I wasn't, wasn't sure which one is going to be the focus of the story, but start with them doing something and the magic just sniffing in to create that sense in the reader of, I understand, all right, what's that? 
no, I understand this. Oh, what the hell is going on here? You know, that kind of tension, that's good confusion. Mm. That's the kind I think he should aim for. That's great advice, actually. Um, I I can't add much more to that, um, in fact. And I just wonder where the numbers are going to, to lie. Um, I thought we got, Johnny, I thought we got a bit of an info dump to begin with. Um, a bit like a briefing. Like, you know, stuff you need to know before we get up to speed. This is one of the many reasons I don't like, like prologues. And you're in severe danger of getting my prologue lecture, which you don't want. <laughs> you <really> don't. <laughs> uh, um, so, a bit of coldness there as well. A bit of coldness and distance. We want to get straight in, like Jack was saying. And um, just feels a little generic as well sort of thing that would have been very you know in vogue in the period immediately after harry potter i'm not so sure these days i think we need something that moves the the whole thing along a little bit further I'm not sure about this there's a lot of buzzwords in publishing i just used one a bit earlier um picaresque and i think magical realism is a bit of a buzzword too actually i mean it's, in the first half of the 20th century it would have been called surreal basically i think but um yeah, yeah. kaylee numbers please um, I do just want to say sorry. I should have said before I jumped into mine. It was really good writing. I did, I oh, compliment well, where it's deserved. Yeah. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for where it is at the moment, uh, I'm probably going to go with a two. Okay. I can tell that really hurts you to, to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but keep going. Yes, I would agree. Keep going. So with Rachel it. is just saying, <laughs> yeah, keep yeah, going, yeah. Johnny. Keep going. We're, we're behind you, mate. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Jack, numbers. Um, I'm torn. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you why I'm torn. It's torn between three and a four. Uh, it's definitely going to be a three and it's possibly a four. And the reason is, I think, Johnny, with your backstory, you should carry on writing. The world ne needs to hear what you have to say wow. more than a lot of other people out there. And hmm. you have the skill to do it. You just have to find the structure and, you know, the means to do it. I'm going to go with a three, but I think you have the potential for much more. Right, got it, got it, all right. Stop saying Johnny, says Johnny, my neck's beginning to hurt. It's obvious, Johnny in the chat room has got an H, and you don't. It's, can't you hear the H? Johnny. Um, Vagabond Heart says, getting a prologue lecture sounds like something your granny would make you take an aspirin for. Yeah, I'm going to go to as well. So, what we should do now, I think, is see what the scoreboard's looking like. And my two has not gone up there, but it will any moment. There you go, 45. And a commanding lead at the moment, 70%. So much 71 from Jordan. Would you like to know a bit more about Jack? I think we ought to sort talk to Jack before we uh, go to our next submission. We don't normally do that this early in the game, but let's let's say hello, Jack. You've got a, you've got a nice um beam straight through that I can eliminate in a moment. I tell you what, let's have a look at, um, let's have a look at, at this, right? What, what's that we're looking at, Jack, and who wrote it and why? Yeah, I can't, oh, I, I can't see what you're, are you showing the book of her? Yes, <laughs> right. yes, it's yours. Okay. It's yours, damn it. Good, 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 good. good. <laughs> then I hope, I hope it's called Under the Bridge. It is. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, that's a good start. <laughs> I think okay. it's a very good start. <laughs> God, uh, okay. so many authors to promote this themselves. A- it's really hard work sometimes. <laughs> okay, this is a book for anybody who has Irish roots, however okay. far back they go. And for anybody who has an interest in Liverpool as a city, whether you're a Beatles fan, a football fan, or you just want to know more about one of Britain's iconic cities, the book is a combination of lived experience and the city as a character. And it it follows the the two narratives, historic and modern. The historic follows emigrants from Ireland after the Second World War to Liverpool. And the, the modern is a young reporter. A body gets turned up on a building site. And then the question is not only uh, who did it, but who was it? And that's the kind of mystery crime elements of the book. Got it. Got the it. book Understood. is about identity and nationality. Sorry. Got it. No, no. So this is Crime North, isn't it, really? As opposed to nice, cosy, sort of Agatha Christie, Cotswold crime. This is this is the real yeah. thing. This is this is n- gritty and and northern and lots of rain and things like wet. No. And social issues, social so, issues, yeah, immigration, yeah, strikes, yeah. police corruption. It's all in there. <laughs> okay, got it. That's great. And uh, tell us about you. How did you start writing, and when? All right, I have the story, which is true, so I'll do it. Uh, When I was 16 on a council estate in Liverpool, I started writing a biography of my dad. My dad was uh, from Ireland, came across to Liverpool. He was a painter and decorator. He was, I only got half a page and then finished. He was an unexceptional man, but he was part of an exceptional movement of people. And this book is the end of that project, if you like. It's not about my family, but it's about families like mine, how they arrived in Liverpool and how Liverpool accepted them and how those two things intertwine. But how, what gave you the urge to, to write about it? Because a lot of people have had, you know, I guess, similar experiences, but they don't, don't write books. Why, why did you... And I was one of those kids, and even as an adult, I always ask why. Why do things happen? Why are things the way they are? And often I'm not satisfied with the answers. And this for me was, you know, I mean, it was literally my dad, you know, looking at my dad, he's a lovely guy, he's gone now. But, you know, why did you move from Ireland to Liverpool? You know, Mm. as a 16-year-old, you think it's moving across the world. And in some senses, it was in terms of culture and experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you again, what made you you write? What made you actually commit this to to paper or electrons? I don't know. What what gave you the the urge to do that? Because it's not an easy thing to do. No, okay, you're right. And I I think partly uh, that the world that my father entered was a world where people fought for an eight-hour day. People fought for overtime pay, for holidays. People wanted the right to a life outside of the workplace. And they won it, by and large, in the 1950s and 60s and the 70s. And in the 80s, 90s and 2000s, it's been taken away. And for me, I think people need to look and say, well, actually, you know, Uber, Deliveroo, these half-fake self-employed jobs that don't pay a decent wage, how do we get back to a place where we can live hmm. well that's a good question i don't have any answers do you 
I hope the book has a few. I okay. hope the experience, you know, of looking at how people did it in an earlier generation, because they did. Yes, in, they did. in the UK, yeah. they won the National yeah. Health Service. They won yeah. a 40-hour week. They yeah. won the right to holiday pay. How did they do that? Yeah. And what relevance does that have today? So, Jack, we have a lot of viewers who are not in the UK. Um, explain yeah. some basics to us about the North-South divide and about Liverpool. I mean, a lot of people have heard of Liverpool for populistic <coughs> reasons, but there's a lot more to Liverpool apart from that and Liverpool-Manchester. Just set the scene a bit for us. Okay, it's uh, London is the capital of the UK. That's in the southeast. That's the financial centre of the country. That's where the majority of people who run the country come from. Uh, the, the establishment is based around London. Not that it doesn't exist elsewhere, but it does. And so there is a north-south divide in terms of the level of investments and finance available for everything. So the south gets more. There are real pockets of poverty in the south as well. So I don't want to just be binary about it. But Liverpool was known, and still is, as the capital of Ireland. <laughs> because, you know, at some stages, there are more Irish people in Liverpool than there probably were in a lot of the towns yeah. of Ireland. <laughs> yeah, and equating with Dublin. And so it has that really rich history of a seaport. You know, there's a thing now where you can't turn over a stone in Liverpool without finding Irish history and slavery. Slavery, and yeah. The, Part of the triangular yeah. trade, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was the centre, well, it was the centre of it in, Liber yeah. in the UK from the mid-1700s on. And those two forces have really impacted the city. But in a way that is only just being explored and people are being honest about for the first time in decades, mm -hmm. which is really good, you so know. Here in the UK, uh, Manchester, Liverpool, North really were the centre of the Industrial Revolution, um, uh, yeah. the world's Industrial Revolution, and dark satanic mills and all the rest of it. And the, I guess the, the reaction against that was what you're just talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, in order to run those dark satanic mills, you need people. And those people have to know their place for the mills to keep working. And so for the whole of the north, if it wasn't mills, it was mines. If it wasn't mines, it was railways or it was shipping or it was... And these huge industries drove the world, you know, for a hundred years. And the UK, you know, had... It was the, the progenitor of the Industrial Revolution, but that led to its empire later because yeah. of those technical developments and so on. Yeah. But it was an unequal development. You know, mm. there were huge amounts of money swishing about in, in the UK, but not much of it got down to working people in the north or working people in the south either, for that matter. Yeah, and that's how, that's how a lot of reform movements actually had their roots up north, isn't it? Yeah, you had the fight against the Corn Laws, you had Chartism was the fight for the vote, originally yeah. just for men, although there were some women involved in the Chartist movement before the suffragettes in the 1840s, huge demonstrations, hundreds of thousands of people, and yeah, so there's a long history of kind of nothing was ever given to us i think that's what people have to realize if you sit around waiting for somebody to deliver it it's not going to arrive the yeah. only time working people have made advances is when they organize to do it 
Jack, you've got some fans. <laughs> I don't know if you've been looking at oh, the channel. Good, 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 good. Vagabond no, says, Jack, you're a great guest. That's what people are saying. All right. How about that? But let me add, let me add, though, I work really hard at making the book a page turner because for me, it doesn't matter what ideas are in it. If it's boring, nobody's going to read it. And Very it's true. not. So Very have true. a look. Under yeah. the Bridge, you can find it on Amazon or orthodoxpress.co.uk. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Jack. Let's look at another <laughs> submission now. That's Johnny. Sounds thank you for your feedback. Look forward to visiting and contributing much more. Yeah, we too. I'm more than grateful for the opportunity to share my work. Best of luck to all. Thank you, Johnny. That's with an H. Our third submission today is from Mary. And you've got a QR code there. So you can scan that and go off to Mary's corner of the internet. Uh, it's that, that expression again, magical realism. I don't, I don't believe it. This is the Magical Realist show. Urban fantasy slash magical realism. Hmm. And it's called... A good time in oldie Legeriton. I don't know how to pronounce that. Legeriton? I think that's about right. Legeriton. Yeah, okay. Let's have a look at Mary's blurb. A road trip through New England with the hope of rebuilding bridges and rekindling relationships becomes a nightmarish passage for a mother and her two adult daughters when they take a side junket through a little village that seemingly stands outside the normal rules of time and space. That's interesting. I'm already interested in a short blurb, but... Hmm. Uh, let me tell you about Mary. Uh, by profession, I'm a veteran public school teacher with more than 30 years classroom experience, recently retired in Hawaii. I hope you like my shirts. Um, I'm, I'm as well the mother of five adult children and nine grandchildren. During my career as an educator, I continued to pursue my passion for writing, finding the time to write and publish six novels and three short stories. You are incredibly prolific, Mary. Uh, Bloodmaster 1, Bloodmaster 2, Smoke, Mirrors and Deep Space, The Secret Life of God as Man, The Lampstand, Anomalies, God and the Multiverse, End Time Stories and Wormholes. Wow. Well, I think under those circumstances, the least we can do for you, Mary, is to see if Kay will give it her best. The first page. A Good Time in Old Legeriton by Mary Hichano, read by Kay. Before, sometimes things just happen, but sometimes they don't. Random events seemingly disconnected happen and we never see the contrivances of fate that put us on a particular path until the denouement of our own little narrative, which, as it frequently turns out, may be not at all what we expect. It was a mass shooting in another state, nothing to do with me personally. I didn't know any of the victims, was unfamiliar with the area, but it reached me at a very basic human level, moved me, literally. It was the story of one victim in particular, a mother maybe ten years older than I am now, who'd been killed by a gunshot to the temple. Random. She had no connection to the shooter. Just wrong place, wrong time. Her grown children were interviewed on TV, the reporter hoping for tears and pathos, something for the viewers to feed on, to weep over. The kids didn't cry, but to me at least, they brought the desired pathos, the tears primarily, because they didn't. They said they didn't know their mum that well anymore. 
that they'd been out of touch since they grew up and left home to live on their own. And I thought, oh my God, that's me. They're talking about me. I pretty much let my little chicks go once they reached adulthood. Fly, be free. And now I'm irrelevant to them. I've lost my importance. Sacrificed my motherhoodness. If I died tomorrow, would they cry? Would they miss me? Would they even notice? Is there still time to get it back? Elena. No motorised vehicles beyond this point, the sign reads. Groans assault my ears. We've come to the town, and now what? Just fodder for more grumbling from the girls. Two weeks of this shit trying to make them happy, trying to make up for lost years. I'm about to lose it. Hey, look, girls, that sounds like fun. That was ten miles back, back on the highway, motoring along the conventional pre-planned route of our road trip, our family vacation. I'm pointing at a billboard gracing the left side of the four-lane highway. This sinuous asphalt snake we've affixed ourselves to via the GPS device. A route that will take us safely from Dover to Boston. Violating the navigation setting seems vaguely sacrilegious and would no doubt generate an annoying flurry of course corrections from the computer voice. Nonetheless, it's a gorgeous midsummer morning, the cornflower blue sky promising a cloudless day and relentless heat. And the billboard, a good time in old Legeriton, promising a smidge of adventure, whereas the highway only promises the security of arriving at a known destination in a predictable time frame. I'm thinking we could use a momentary diversion, something a little different from the carefully maintained old New England towns which we've been wandering the past six days, straining at pleasantries like strangers and trying to avoid open confrontations. A bar that's open sounds like more fun, Kelly snipes from the back seat. It's 9am, I'm about to say, but she's 22, so I let it go. What's cool to a recent college grad, I suppose, is a beer buzz in the morning, especially if it annoys your mother. Besides, I know she's stressed about the job thing, and who made the rule about no drinking before noon anyway, as she's sure to retort. AA, I think. A sigh of the penitent almost escapes my lips, but I keep it inside. Any regrets about this whole thing kept to myself, as always. Whatever possessed me to think a road trip with my two grown, sulky, entitled daughters was a good idea. A bonding opportunity. If anything, what bonds we might have had going in are starting to seriously unravel. An old-fashioned New England town, it says, I counter placidly, pointing at the billboard. Mum, we have hotel reservations in Boston for today, Karen reminds me. I'm 46, I respond. No need to add, not 86. She knows what I mean. Short-term memory lapses are not even in my immediate future. Well now, Mary, you've got some excellent observations and comments and suggestions, as always, in the genius room, which is why I call it the genius room. Um, and Corin Paro um, is our narrator. Got several narrators around today, which is great. Agreed, says... Uh, uh, Kay and Cora, uh, person of many uh, um, aliases. Uh, the writing is very competent and helped me to make help me help to make me want to read on. Yes, okay. So we all feel there's, a, there's an interesting voice there, Kaylee. I think what I'm about to say might be uh, 
outvoted for, but I actually really liked the prologue. Yeah. Um, I would yeah. remove the first paragraph. I thought that was a bit overcomplicated, but I, I actually, I felt like I really got that. So it sets it up, doesn't it? It sets it up. I it sets it up and yeah. it sets up yeah. her own insecurities as a mother, yeah. which as it seems will be so mm. instrumental to the story and you know that kind of it's one of those thoughts isn't it if something happens it's like oh if that was me what would happen um so i thought that was really good it was quite kind of oh it had like an emotional reaction to it mm. um and from there i thought there was really yeah competent writing for sure i actually thought there was a good sense of character in there i, I took that away from um from the pages i i thought it was really good mm. would you read on Yes, 100%. Yeah, I would as well, actually. Jack? Uh, not for me, I'm afraid. Oh, <laughs> oh, <right>. Sorry. It's <laughs> uh, too much to hope for. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she had a really good line in it, though. I thought, if I die tomorrow, is a mm. much... Uh, it's not for me to say, but that would be a great title. If that's... So, because that looks like yeah. that's where she's going. You know, yeah. what's the value of my life? What have I achieved? What's the relationship with my daughters? And yeah. so I think that would cut to the chase. I mean, yeah. old Legiratron yeah. uh, doesn't exactly uh, you know, jump I, I, off I, the I, page. Um, yeah, I, I've tripped over that badly. Um, okay, so it's, it's not but, your thing, but... But, no, I think... You know, for me, I think it, you need to show the things happening, you know. So instead of, you know, the kids were grumbling in the car because, you know, we've been falling out, show us falling out. You know, when the woman was shot with a gun to the temple, horrible as it is, you know, don't just tell us, show us that that's, mm. you know, happening, you know, and then pull away and we see you watching it, your reaction to it, get in, for me, get into the emotions. But I understand that's not for everyone, you know. People yeah. are more sedate pace and a more kind of. I can get that. It's just not my style. Are you trying to turn this into some of sort of Liverpudlian <laughs> crime thriller? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. All right. So, uh, notwithstanding all the above, give it some numbers, please, Johnny. Oh, sorry. Uh, wait, let's see, Jack. Jack, dear idea. I'm obsessed <laughs> with Johnny's today. It's all right. It's a J. Go on. Okay. Give her numbers. All right. Uh, uh, two for me. And uh, the two, I know, it's a, I know it's a bit low. Okay. okay. I know it's a bit low, but, but she's published six novels. It's not going to stop her writing. But no, I would yeah. like, you know, to think that, you know, she can take the constructive criticism. I'm sure she can. Yeah, well, she's got, what, nine grandchildren? She can take anything, just about. Um, yeah, Kaylee. Strong woman. Um, I'm going to go for a really solid three. Okay. Solid three. I'm going to surprise everyone and say, oh, I really liked it. I was a bit wordy in the middle. I might, might suggest some edits and stuff like that. But I, I liked it. I like the way this is going. It's got, It's... Again, I'm, I'm guilty of, you know, voting in anticipation. But I can see this working out really nicely, actually. Some little, you know, off-the-track off sort of, you know, godforsaken hellhole where strange and surreal David Lynch-type things happen and personal relationships on top of it. I'm going to give that a four. So we've got a good spread there. Johnny went four, Hannah went three, yeah. Kay went four as well. Let's see how the numbers look. 
Well, there we are. We got a 60 for you, Mary. I hope you feel happy with that. Just two more now. Oh, this is this is RA. Hello, RA. It's your turn now. Good to have you around today live. You can review us, you know. We're reviewing your manuscript. What we're doing here is what normally happens between consenting publishers in private, but we're doing it in public. It's not without risk. What would happen, for example, if we came across the next Harry Potter and nobody recognised it? A, as has happened before. All right, R.A. Rye, women's fiction, the stories we carry. This is your blurb. There are a few things in life as simultaneously terrifying and ludicrous as taking a pregnancy test. Harriet longs for a child, so when she misses her period, she's over the moon. Until the pregnancy test reads negative. But things aren't always as they seem, and Harriet can sense her daughter's presence within her. Alive with stories waiting to be told. In the emotional maze that is conception, what do you do if your body tells you one thing, but the tests say something else? Hello, you feeling nervous? Good, you should be. Uh, I'm going to tell everyone about you now. Uh, having spent most of my career in science-based work, you say, I dusted off my childhood dream of writing whilst I was off on maternity leave with my eldest. A few years on, and I'm completely hooked. I write when I really ought to be doing something virtuous, like exercising, washing up, or spending time with my husband. Oh, dear. <laughs> I hope that's not a harbinger of problems ahead. He complains... But it keeps me sane. I've had a couple of pieces of flash fiction published. This is my second stab at a novel. And uh, in terms of stabs, I think we can do much better than that. We can make it a, a thoroughgoing uh, surgical strike. <laughs> if Emily doesn't mind being described like that. The, first the Stories We Carry by R.A. Read by Emily. 3rd of December, 2018. How are you getting on in there? Fine, thank you. Do you need any help? It's a pregnancy test. What the hell kind of help do you think you're going to be able to give me? There are few things in life simultaneously terrifying and ludicrous as taking a pregnancy test. I'm sitting here on the loo with the stick in my hand. One part of my brain is goggling at the vast horizon of possibility that fans out from this single moment, like a snake of light illuminating an entire ocean. The other part of my brain is struggling with the less-than-glamorous practicalities of right now. The leaflet says to hold the stick midstream for 30 seconds. But 30 seconds seems like a very long time. I'm sure tests didn't need that long a few years ago. I don't generally time this sort of thing, but I'm not at all confident that I will be able to wee for a full 30 seconds. What if I can't? Will the test be redundant then? These things aren't cheap. What if I keep voiding the tests and we never know for sure if I'm pregnant? Patrick, I can hear you pacing and breathing out there. It's really off-putting. I'm just trying to be supportive. I know, but it's making me anxious and I can't wee. Do you think you could go downstairs for a bit? Make a cup of tea or something? Maybe a cup of tea beforehand might have been more useful. I'm serious. Okay, okay, I'm leaving. Call me when you want me, right? I will do. I hear his footsteps fade as he leaves the landing, and I exhale audibly. I get that he's only trying to help, 
but knowing that there's an audience just outside the bathroom door was making things ten times worse. With the bathroom to myself, I stare blankly at the bath mat, picking out at least five different shades of blue in a pattern that I swear I've barely even registered before. The chemical smack of the toilet freshener sticks to the back of my throat. It's suspiciously festive. Honestly, Patrick needs to check his Christmas spirit. It's only the start of December. As I sit here, failing to wee on a stick, I allow my mind to drift back to our first conversation about having children. We'd been together for about a year when we first spoke about it. I say, spoke about having children, as if we sat down and had an adult conversation. I wish I were that person. Sadly, I am not. I was emotional and a little hungover when we had this particular talk. We'd only been living in the house for about two weeks. Boxes of books were stacked up next to empty bookshelves. Clothes lay in heaps around the bedroom, awaiting the delivery of a new double wardrobe. Sheets of bubble wrap drifted into every corner of the house and kept making me jump when I accidentally trod on them. None of this had prevented us from holding a housewarming party. People don't expect an immaculate house at a housewarming. Not from me, anyway. They expect laughter and energy, which I can usually deliver. It had been my birthday too, and I wasn't about to let a messy house get in the way of a birthday celebration. A big night had been had, and by midday the next day, we'd only just succeeded in shooing the last of our guests out of our house. Half-eaten bags of crisps were draped around dirty plates and park-drunk mugs of wine, backlit by the ruthless May sunshine that was forcing its way into the room despite closed curtains. I had begged Patrick to leave off tidying up for just an hour or two, and for once he had agreed with me. We sat together on our new sofa, miraculously free of stains, drinking tea and eating bacon that had been cooked in a saucepan. I gathered a handful of the cards that were heaped up on the floor like leaf litter and began to flick through them. The tears started out of nowhere. And we have Emily live with us today, which is absolutely great. She says, (coughs) I thought the dialogue and writing was great, witty and moved along well. All right, let's go straight to Jack. Good opening scene. I liked the, yeah, I liked the, I liked the voice. I liked the flow of the writing. I think it was well written. I think the dialogue, the, the dialogue really kept it bubbling over, and the exposition in between, the information, fitted. You know, it wasn't kind of squashed in. There wasn't too much of it. It was nice internal kind of monologues that that really flowed. You know, the whole piece flowed. Uh, that was the feeling I got from it. There was no point at which I, you know, stepped back or hmm. either a choice of vocabulary or a structure made me kind of remember that I was right. I was reading. You hmm. know, when you get into that, you follow oh, yeah. the voice. And so yeah. I really liked it. And I thought, I thought I'll tell you what I love is the the humor in the dialogue you know yeah. i think that's great you know yeah. kind of it shows the confidence of right of the writer you know sitting here waiting to pee on a stick you know it's great what's wrong with that you know <laughs> <laughs> well possibly quite a lot but um uh, i think I, th- I think we're on a roll here all right so i'm gonna ask see if we can get jack to give a number right now jack number yeah i'm gonna go four. Oh. It's all or nothing, Jack, isn't it? It's just the twos and just the fours today. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Kaylee. I'm not sure I can add much more to that. I would completely agree. Really nice, kind of candid, colloquial voice. Really strong for first person. Definitely kept it moving. And actually, as it moved out from the present moment back, 
back, which can always be a bit of a danger point if you can kind of keep the momentum. Um, it definitely did. And it was really nice to see, you know, another part of, the, of their lives. Mm. Um, I have to be honest, I, I, the, the blurb itself was really intriguing. You know, what happens if, you, you know, you know your own body, but, you know, everything else, you know, all external influences is telling you something different. Yeah. But I, yeah. I just have no idea how this will unfold over a whole story and and that's fine i mean that's great there's obviously a story to tell but i have no idea what it is but i agree i agree with that i think maybe something in the blurb should not give the story away but tell us that there's more to it you know with some idea hmm yeah yeah of direction Hmm. yeah so kaylee in number and that's going to be a it's going to be a four. I knew it. Nice four. I knew it. Uh, i got to say, RA, if you look at the comments in the chat room, and I know you're with us live, but you might want to replay this and just stop it occasionally and read it. I think everyone's saying the same thing, actually. I'm going to say a four as well. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Nothing to complain about. Um, let's look at the numbers now. Got a feeling. Yes! Look at that. You've surged into the lead there, all right? Fours all round. It's unusual, that. We don't normally find a total agreement, you know, from every angle on this show, but you have made us break out into unanimity. This is looking good. But we do have one more. One more submission today, which could blow everything out of the water. And it's from James. And it's middle grade nine plus magical realism again. He's a surfeit of magical realism today, I do declare. Oh, crikey. Um, You've got James's website there, so you can scan that and go to it. And it's called The Billow Maiden. This is James Blurb. Uh, Staying at her uncle and aunt's house for the summer, Ailsa enters a small cave on a secluded beach. Inside, she finds Hefring, a selkie, a mermaid, a billow maiden from ancient myth, slowly dying without her sea skin. Somebody stole it a long time ago, and it's up to Ailsa to retrieve it and save her new friend. Interesting. I get it. I get it. Um, this is James's bio. I'm a novelist, playwright and poet based in Glasgow. My debut novel, The Unrivaled Transcendence, Transcendence of Willem J. Gile, Gile, Thistle 2017, was shortlisted for the Somerset Maugham Award 2018 by the Society of Authors. Amongst other accolades, this is my second time submitting a piece of work to Latopia. Thank you. And my first foray into children's fiction. Well, we want to make sure you're in very safe hands, James. So it's going to be Kate. The Billow Maiden by James, read by Kate. Things began to get bad over the last few weeks before the summer holidays. It was Ailsa's first year in secondary school. She hadn't long turned 12 and her mum got ill. She began to spend every day in bed. The place became untidy, then outright dirty, and there was no food left in the fridge. In the end, Ailsa had to phone Uncle Nod. It's happening again, she told him. You old tight, love, he said. Pack your bags, I'll be there soon. He was there a few hours later, his truck chugging to a stop outside their flat. 
They half carried Ailsa's mum out to it, lay her across the back seats, and packed their bags into the boot. Uncle Nod looked over at Ailsa as they left the city. They took the motorway up to the harbour. "'Your aunt's getting your room ready for you,' he said. "'And Moxie knows something's up, daft old bugger. "'He'll be dead excited to see you.' "'How long will we stay with you?' she asked. "'As long as you bloody well want to, love,' he said. He grinned over at her, though she could see how worried he was. Uncle Nod drove them onto the ferry. He sat in the truck, and her mum lay swaddled in a blanket across the back seats. Ailsa spent the whole time at the front of the boat, enjoying the sea spray and the wind. The island on which her aunt and uncle lived emerged on the horizon, gleaming in the summer sunshine. That was a few days ago. She had spent every hour she could since then out and about, exploring the island's coast. Uncle Nod gave her a torch, and she'd packed her wellies in with her other things despite the summer's warmth. It was everything she needed. That, and Moxie, of course. There were all sorts of different paths leading down to the island's caves. Each one led to any number of thin stretches of rugged beach. The beaches were all rocks and heather and washed-up seaweed. The caves were all carved through the high cliffs that overlooked the beaches. This old stretch of coast is riddled with them, Aunt Bertha told Ailsa. Smugglers and worst use them for centuries as hidey holes and what not. But you be careful down there. Places like that can be treacherous for a landlubber like yourself. Water pounded them every day as the tide rose and the wind whipped up. It was only ever safe to try the beaches at low tide, so Uncle Nod gave Elsa a chart with all the tidal times written down. She read the chart every morning in bed as she worked out when to take Moxie out exploring. Elsa walked Moxie along a particularly rocky cove about a week into her stay. She doubted many people came down here. She'd only spotted the path by accident. Even then, it was only because Moxie had run over to it. Moxie ran off again, halfway along the cove. His tail wagged and he worked his nose hard, sniffing at a thin cave mouth in the rocks. It was almost hidden from view by great ropes of seaweed that clung to its edges. A slab of moss-slick rock led up from the beach. Waves washed over it, even during the low tide. Moxie ran up to it, giving a few short, sharp barks as he did so. He disappeared inside. Ailsa didn't want to follow. The cave's smell was overpowering. It was like fish guts. It smelled like the fishermen who came to Uncle Nod and Aunt Bertha's yard in their overalls and wax coats. It smelt like the harbour on a hot day when they brought their catches in. Ailsa carefully walked up the slab of rock and peeped in. Jagged rocks stood up everywhere. Everything was dark and clammy despite the day's warmth. There was more to it than the smell and the darkness, however. She felt a deep-rooted sense of sadness in her gut as she peered in after Moxie. There was no explaining it. Elsa couldn't have done so if she'd wanted to. But it was there, dragging at her, making her feel miserable just looking. It reminded her of her mum, and she wanted nothing to do with it. As far as she was concerned, sadness like that should not be. She wanted to banish it from the world so that nobody would ever have to feel like anything like it. 
I can smell the ozone, says Johnny, in the chat room. Um, here, heretofore known as the Genius Room, and I think they actually really quite positive about that. Let's see what Jack thinks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, the writing is very accomplished. There was nothing that stood out. There was no element that was too much or too little. So you had the kind of world building, the scene setting. There's really great imagery. You know, I I, I think it was all all there. Okay, but <laughs> oh, here, here he comes. Okay, here he comes. <laughs> And this is just for me. And, you know, I'm not a writer for kids, so I don't know. But it felt like the first couple of pages were just missing a bit of tension and drama yeah. to get the, yeah. to hook the reader in. You know, it was a bit of a long intro. You could put all that intro after, you know, after you've done it. And for me, the book starts with finding the cave, the danger, the mystery of the cave. And then you can put in all the other stuff. You know, you can feed that in as you go along. And, you know, kids love the adventure. And I just think, you, you know, you can't expect them to wait around for it. Yeah, we are dealing with uh, nine-year-olds, aren't we? Plus, um, yeah, maybe we're not doing them a, a service by saying that, though. Maybe they do actually have a longer attention span than we think. What did you think, Kylie? I thought it was brilliant. I, I really mm. love this. I thought it, it covered the... <laughs> but now, now you've said that, I'm like, mm, what do I think? No, I, I'll go with my gut instinct. I really enjoyed it. Covered a lot of ground, you know, um, when the mum was being kind of wrapped up in the car, I, I was genuinely interested in what was happening. Um, and I think, you know, a real gift for dialogue in this, you really created your characters off the back of the dialogue. Um, and I think I saw a comment from, from Jeff, was it? He said, I can almost visualise this. And I'd written down, it's very visual. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, let's get a number from you, then we'll come back to Jack. I... I'm going to go all in with a five. <gasps> oh, I knew it was going to be a high scoring show, but I didn't know it was going to be that much. Gosh, Jack, what are you going to do? I'm going to go with a three, I'm afraid. A three. And I, it was really. <laughs> It was really accomplished. It was great. And what do I know? But just that bit of tension from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I need a little harder hit to begin with, um, especially if we're going for that that young. And I hope I'm not being patronising by saying that. It's possible. That's how commercial people think, though. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to go 3-2. Um, but what, what terrific submissions today, actually. Just notwithstanding our technical problems. I mean, pretty good manuscripts going on. Let's look at the number five for K. Chat room's gone five. How about that? So we've got two joint winners there today. Two eighties, both of whom you can be really proud of yourself, actually. James and Mary, wow. Everyone's done well today. How's it been for you, Jack? Really interesting. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I hope I wasn't too hard uh, because, you know, I you know were. what it's you were, like. You, you to... were too hard. You were, yeah. <laughs> too bad. Thanks for that support, Peter. Oh, we, we, I just say, we are delighted to have you on. You've got one more thing to do. We're going to go and ask you in a moment whether you want to change 
any of your votes. I don't think he will, but you get the chance to. Make your pop-up submission. Subs.latopia.com That's where to do it. Now then, Kylie, you've been nothing but generous with your time and quite generous with the numbers as well. Do you want to change any of those? Um, no, I'm going to stick with them. You're going to stick. Same question to you, Jack. Are you going to stick? Are you going to twist? Or what are you going to do? I'm going to stick because if I changed, then it would make a winner from the kind of draw that we have at the moment. And I don't think that's fair. So I'm going to stay. Fantastic. Let me just say, we think you've been a great guest. Hope you come back. Thank you so much, Jack. Really good to see you on the show. Don't forget to vote on today's show. Yeah, don't forget. Don't forget. You've got six and a half days. Despite our problems, it's been a good show. Great submissions. Fantastic chat room. And everyone behind the scenes, thank you so much for helping make it happen. See you next week.